This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, owner and executive chef of the Raging Skillet, New York City's wildest catering company. And welcome to Raging and Eating. Today's episode is dedicated to how the hell do you get married in a post-corona world? I've heard so many beautiful poetic things about Corona. It's the universe cleansing itself. It's the world showing us that we need to spend more time loving our children. It's God's way of protecting nature. I mean, there's all these beautiful things, but listen, the reality is it just sucks. Corona, COVID-19 really, really sucks. So you can't see me right now, but I'm giving the finger to COVID-19. It's, it's taken our jobs, it's ruined the economy, it's made us sick, it's killed us. I mean, it's made us paranoid and scared and angry. And it just sucks. Plus, I've been wearing that damn mask every day and now I'm getting zits. So that really sucks. I'm a 56-year-old woman with a zit. I mean, come on, I outgrew that like four decades ago. But when it comes time to getting married, you know, when you're in love, sometimes you just want to get married. I mean, it doesn't happen to me really, but generally speaking, when you're in love, you want to get married. So we had so many weddings booked this year because everyone wanted to get married in 2020. I mean, what a sexy sounding number, 2020. Like, why get married in 2019 when you can get married in 2020? I had a lot of 2019 couples postponed to get married in 2020. I got a feeling they're all kicking themselves right about now. But it is hard to have a wedding if you decide to go through with it. I mean, thank God for the people who do because I'm getting bored, right? So it's all about me. But how do you have a wedding in a post-corona world? Well, the first thing I have to say, no matter what you do, is immediately start laughing because you have to keep your sense of humor. If you don't laugh, you're gonna cry. As long as you're laughing and as long as you can see the humor in it all, you will get through this. I mean, weddings are supposed to be about the fact that you're in love and you want to spend your life with the person you're in love with, or at least five years and then get divorced and then spend your life with the person you're in love with. But in any case, having the joy and the laughter will help you get through it. So... I had a lot of 200 plus weddings booked in 2020, most of them postponed for a year and even two. But how can you actually have a wedding for 200 people if you don't want to postpone? I mean, first of all, the best scenario is to do it outdoors. But to do an outdoor wedding for 200 people and have the tables spaced six feet apart you're gonna need something like a football stadium. And not a lot of people can afford to rent a football stadium. Some people can, but not a lot. I think a great place to do a large wedding is a drive-in movie theater. Bride and groom can have their ceremony where the movie's supposed to be and everyone can watch it and listen on the radio. And then the waiters can come out maybe on roller skates, like a 1950s drive-in. Wouldn't that be cool? 
I mean, granted, it might suck for the waiters. They'd have to kind of triple pay them, I think. And then you wouldn't have so much trouble finding them the way things are with the economy now. But what about if you're getting married in your dream venue and you can't get your money back and you still want to have your 200 wedding guests? Well, first of all, I have a lot of trouble believing that at least 100 of them wouldn't cancel because people are scared right now to fly and travel. But let's just say you want to keep your 200 wedding guests. So how do you have 200 people in a space where you have to have social distancing and maybe the space doesn't want to have more than 50 people at a time? Well, that is what I call my everybody wins wedding. So you do it every couple of hours. Everyone takes a ticket, number one, number two, number three, number four. It'll be in their invitation. Number one ticket will be from one o'clock to three o'clock, number two from three to five, and so on and so on. So the first group gets to come in and actually see the actual wedding in person. All the other groups will see it on Zoom. The first group has some drinks and some hors d'oeuvres, and they get to watch the first dance and have a little fun, and then they got to get the hell out of there by 3 o'clock in time for the second group. You're going to need to hire a few bouncers, though, I have to warn you. And ultimately, all four groups came and air kissed the bride and groom and had some drinks and some fun and some snacks and whatever you're feeding them, and most importantly, left a very large check, and you got to have all 200 guests at the Everybody Wins wedding. Yes, you need a bouncer for that. But still, why not? Now, I had a wedding that was 200 plus guests at one of the most chic venues in New York. And of course, they had to postpone their wedding. They actually didn't want to postpone their wedding. But they couldn't have their 200 plus guests at the chic venue indoor in New York. Now I'm drinking an alcoholic beverage. It's a truly, that's what it's called. And the other one that it's like is White Claw or White Crow, White Claw, whatever. It's hard seltzer. I don't know, it's sort of like seltzer with a little vodka in it. So maybe by the time I finish, I'll be good and looted and I'll start telling you about all my ex-lovers. But in any case, where was I and who am I? You seem vaguely familiar. So we've established the Everyone Wins Wedding, but in this case, I had the gorgeous wedding. They wanted to have it on their date, and so what they decided to do was to move it to the bride's mother's backyard, to her backyard growing up. And the guest list shrunk down from 200 to actually 39 guests. And they transformed that backyard with a spectacular florist, and we hung hanging lights on the trees, we brought in a Rolls Royce of a porta potty. I mean, I have never gone to the bathroom anywhere as beautiful as this porta potty. I mean, it really might have actually been a Rolls Royce porta potty. It was a gorgeous thing. If you'd put a pull out couch in that thing, I would have moved in. I have lived in apartments that were not as nice as that porta potty. And we brought in gorgeous antique barn tables and antique weather chairs and hung silk from the trees. I mean, it was the most gorgeous thing. The whole backyard was turned into a country wedding that seemed like it was from the 1800s. Just spectacular. 
And the food was very lovey and homey. I got to make barbecue chicken and smashed potatoes. Lots and lots and lots of drinks. We passed in mason jars electric lemonades. That's uh, with a little bit of bourbon in it. Usually when I make my electric lemonades with vodka. And Moscow mules and the copper mugs. I mean, just gorgeous. So that was one of the most beautiful weddings I've ever catered. And the bride and groom got to get married in front of the same tree that the bride played on when she was a little girl. I'm telling you, I was actually kind of crying a little bit. And I'm an old, jaded New Yorker caterer. I mean, I never cry. So it can be done. Now, how do you handle some of the most important things about a wedding? Like to me, the most important things in a wedding, number one, the food, of course, I'm a chef, it's the food. Okay, maybe number one, the bride and groom should actually like each other. That's the most important. But number two is the food. Then comes the music. You want great music. And number three is great booze, lots of drinks. So yes, 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 the flowers are important. God bless you, flowers. And yes, the linens and the plates and the glasses, and all that's important. But three most important things, the food and the music and the drinks. So now let's say you brought in a great band, a fantastic band. How do you dance? How do you have a Corona-safe dance party in this world today? So I had one bride tell me that for her wedding, she wants to dance with her groom, have her first dance. She wants to dance with her father, the groom to dance with his mother. You know, all those special dances. The bride dances with the father, blah, blah, blah. And then the guests just watch, and none of the guests dance. And she thought this was a good idea. So I had to be very polite and and smile and nod. But um, I also had to find a very polite way to say that that idea sucked dog poo. I was going to say shit, but I wanted to be polite. But there's a way to do it. Do you remember those great twister game boards when you were younger? You know, you spin the wheel and you put your foot on one and your hand on the other and you're all contorted. Or maybe you're a millennial and you never heard Twister. Well, Google it, okay? So my idea was to put bright red or bright pink dots on the dance floor. Think like a go-go 60s modern kind of thing. And so there's a smaller dot for one person and a bigger dot for two people. And there's space six feet apart. And so when the music gets cranking... Everyone goes and finds their dot. You have a couple on the two-person dot and a single on the one-person dot. And when all the dots are gone, then just don't friggin' dance, okay? Wait five seconds. They'll conk out soon enough. Meanwhile, you can raid the bar like I would be doing. So that's a kind of an everybody wins way to dance. And there's other issues, too. Like, so I'm Jewish, as you know. And if you don't know, I'm Jewish. And one of the most important moments at a Jewish wedding is the hora. So for non-Jews, I'm not saying the whore. That's a separate subject. That's what my mother called my sister when she married out of her faith because my mother is old-fashioned. That's another story. But the hora is when everyone joins hands. All the wedding guests join hands. And they dance all around the outskirts of the, the space in a big giant circle. And... 
Everyone lifts the bride and groom in the middle and up in the air on chairs. Now here's where you have to be very careful and get chairs where the bride and groom will not be killed during their wedding because it's a major league bummer if you kill the bride and groom during the wedding. If you're so inclined, at least wait until after the wedding. But so don't use a folding chair because if you lift the bride and groom up on a folding chair, there's a good chance that you're going to hurt them or hurt yourself. You need a very sturdy chair that does not fold. So just remember that if you're planning on lifting the bride and groom up. But so everyone holds hands and they dance around. It's always to the Havanagila. Do you know the Havanagila? You must know the Havanagila. Everyone knows the Havanagila. Hava Nagila, Hava Nagila, Hava Nagila Ve Nisbacha. Hey! Did you think I sounded sexy? No, I'm a lousy singer. Screw off. Anyway, that's the horror. But how do you do the horror now in a post corona world? Well, I had a bride actually give me this idea, so I cannot take credit as much as I would like to, but I'm not that kind of person. And her idea was to get a rope, and you could do a beautiful rope, like a golden rope, or just a plain old-fashioned rope, you know, whatever kind, whatever rope you're going to do, float your rope boat. And every six feet, make a big knot, and all the guests grab a knot. And so everyone is on the rope, every six feet you grab a knot, or maybe you did something besides a knot, but something they can grab a hold of, like a paddle, a knot, something. And they go and do the horror all around the room, on the rope, spaced six feet apart. Is that not a fantastic idea? I do want to take credit for it, but I won't, I swear. I'm not that kind of person. I'm a not-so-nice Jewish girl, but I have my morals. A few of them, one or two, maybe one. Now, our next subject, the most important subject, the food. So, I have always been famous for doing these giant abundanza displays of cheese and charcuterie and homemade pickles and vegetables and just you name it. It's sort of like, did you, do you remember the movie Caligula? Or you're not old enough, screw off. But, you know, like a big giant Roman Greek feast, an abundanza, an explosion of antipasto and cheese and charcuterie and everything gorgeous. So even when I first got into the business in the 80s, all I did was travel around the tri-state area of New York making these gorgeous cheese displays. And my company was called Have Cheese Board, Will Travel. And it was a waiter on roller skates. There we are again with the poor waiters and roller skates. I'm so sorry, waiters. Holding a cheese board. Now, of course, that's a horrible, tacky idea. I know, I know, I know. But this was the 80s, so give me a break. The next thing I did in the 80s was call my company Parties by Rossi, which again is a horrible, tacky thing. But that was the 80s, was Bodies by Jake, Parties by Rossi. Anyway, unfortunately, I cannot do those giant, gorgeous abundanza cheese tables in this current corona world. Because you can't really have someone put their hand on something and then you put your hand on it and someone else puts their hand on it. Oy vey. Not a good thing right now. Luckily, there's something else that I'm famous for, which is a floating supper. I'm pretty sure I invented them, or at least I'd never heard of anyone else doing them when I started doing them, which is about three decades ago. So I had a large dinner for 700 people to cater 
at Irving Plaza in New York, which is a great old school rock club, which unfortunately, damn it, is not there anymore. Like so many other great things in New York. CBGB's no more. Gem Spa and St. Mark's Place, home of the Beatniks and the Punks, no more. Irving Plaza, no more. The Second Avenue Deli, when it was actually on Second Avenue, no more. And so many disappearing now during Corona. But this is supposed to be upbeat and not depressing, so, you know, I won't go there. Anyway, so there are a few other places that are disappearing that I'm really bummed out about. But in, in any case, so I was supposed to do a dinner for 700 people at Irving Plaza, and Irving Plaza could only handle 500 people. So what do we do? And I had this crazy idea, and everyone else thought it was a crazy idea. But the idea was to take all the food and shrink it down to miniature and pass it. So it was literally a floating supper. So that gorgeous classic Caesar salad with shaved Parmesan and garlic croutons, we passed that in Chinese containers with chopsticks. That even saved them a fortune on renting the forks and plates, too. That beautiful pepper-crusted salmon, pass it on little bitty six-inch plates with a little appetizer fork and a nice big plop of daikon coleslaw. It was a gorgeous thing. That gorgeous steak au poivre with Yukon gold potato salad passed on small plates with a little appetizer fork. So they never needed a knife. We sliced the steak nice and thin. And since they never needed a knife, they could be standing or leaning. We put a lot of what we call airport tables around, which are tall tables to lean on. And we were able to serve dinner for 700 in a place that held 500. It's a very cool thing. I've since then been doing the floating supper for all sorts of situations. Like when the economy tanked in 2008. I mean, people had no money and they still wanted to have a dinner. So the floating suppers are a lot less expensive than a sit-down dinner because you're renting so much less stuff. You're not putting all the accoutrements at the table for a sit-down dinner. And sometimes I'll even do a floating supper where all three courses are in Chinese containers and then you never have to rent a plate or a fork at all. Dayeno. So, enter Corona and I had a fantastic wedding to cater large. I mean, but the space, they could still do it at the space because the space was doing 25% capacity and they it was a large space, so they could still do it, except for the fact that the tables had to be spaced six feet apart, so they really couldn't do their dinner. Their initial dinner was family style, which I do quite often. Family style is a little bit of a no-no in a corona world because you You can't really pass things around and everyone takes some and then you take some. Because what if someone at the table had corona and then you took their fork? and eh, I don't know. I don't want to get paranoid, but it's a little skeevy. Uh, Usually the way that I'll do a sit-down is what I call quadruple French service. So French service is where the poor waiter comes to the table with one big silver tray and all the foods on it. And the meat juice is dripping into the fish and yeah, it's gross, okay? 
So I do it where every waiter has a different dish. One comes out with the wild rice salad, and one comes out with the barbecued summer vegetables, and one comes out with the pepper crusted Arctic char, and one comes out with the grilled leg of lamb, and one comes out with a veggie entree, and it's very interactive with the table. Now that's a very sexy thing, but in this case, no, because we did not have the room to put those tables out six feet apart. So enter the floating supper. And I changed the whole menu to work as gorgeous miniatures. Our first wave was a beautiful watermelon, feta, and mint salad with some black olive garnish. Our second wave, pepper crusted Arctic char, gorgeous, with daikon coleslaw, beautiful. Our third wave, an all day barbecue brisket in Pepsi glaze. Trust me, that's a good thing. With smashed potatoes laced with tons and tons of butter. It was a beautiful thing. So, floating suppers are a great way to handle a corona crowd. Eating outside makes everyone feel comfortable, and there's lots and lots and lots of outside venues. So, the trick is to keep your sense of humor as best you can. I mean, like, what about for a wedding favor, a little sanitizing gel makes a great thing. With a cute little note, you know, Corona's not invited, but you are. Or what about giving everyone a roll of two ply toilet paper? How cute would that be? Except that we just got two ply back for crying out loud. So maybe don't do that. Just send them all to me. That was like a fate worse than death when I couldn't get two ply toilet paper. Then I knew I was Jewish. I went to the store and all the toilet paper was gone. Oh my God. I was like, take me, la- take me now, Lord. I'm totally ready to go. So just keep laughing. You got to keep laughing. Sometimes I think about when my brother and his wife got married. That was an interesting story. So we are Ashkenazi Jews. We're Eastern European, Hungarian Ashkenazi Jews. And we want to eat chicken papakash. We want New York deli. We want pastrami. Well, my brother's family wants corned beef. They didn't want pastrami. I don't know. Something's wrong with them. Real Jews want pastrami. But they want, you know, New York deli, kosher deli, and they want good, you know, goulash and things like that. And so my brother was marrying a Persian-Israeli woman, and her family wanted kebabs and Persian rice and baba ganoush, falafel. It was like the, you know, melding of opposites in every way. So they couldn't figure out any way to agree So they had the Ashkenazi Jewish deli table for our side of the family. They had the Israeli Persian table for her side of the family. And then in the middle, they figured they'll come up with something that everyone could agree on. They had kosher Chinese food. Now, that was a gastronomic meltdown if ever I saw one. If you have a kebab and hummus on your plate and pastrami and corned beef and half-sour pickles and then sweet and sour chicken and chow mein, you're not going to be feeling too well the next day. But I digress. So so we've established how you can dance and how you can do the horror on your wedding. We've established that you need to rent a drive-in theater or a football stadium. We've established that, no, not the big almondons of free-flowing things and not the family style, but you can do a floating supper Or you can do my quadruple French service. 
which I think you might kind of like. And we have established that seating six feet apart is the way to go, but if you can't do that, the floating supper is gonna save your ass, what can I say? So, moving forward, I wanna talk to you, an interesting segue, I know, but I gotta talk to you about my brisket. So, I love brisket. Brisket is the everybody wins meat, because let's say you have filet mignon. Well, for the most part, we're gonna cook it medium rare, and just hope that the rare people will be okay. And for the well-done people, we could ask them to leave, but we could also just give them the butts at the end. But if we're doing a brisket, it's an all-day barbecue brisket, then it's supposed to be cooked like that. It's supposed to be cooked until it's falling apart. It's certainly not supposed to be rare. There's nothing more horrifying in the world than a rare brisket. It's supposed to be cooked like longer than relationships I've actually had. And this is true. I have had relationships in the 80s that were shorter than the time it takes me to cook a brisket. There was, eh, you know, a few years in the 80s where I was a little bit of a loose woman, shall we say. So what I like to do with a brisket is I like to make a nice rub, which I'll do like good barbecue seasoning, paprika, garlic, cumin, cayenne, everything gorgeous, lots of black pepper. Make a gorgeous rub. When I trim my brisket from the butcher, I leave a good amount of fat on it. And then I get a big giant rondeau, nice and hot. I put my rub all over my brisket and I throw it down and really brown and scorch the outside. So much so that, you know, we have an exhaust system in our kitchen that better be on or we'll be calling the fire department. So if you do it in your apartment, maybe open a window or turn on a fan or something, or maybe just take apart your, your fire alarm for a little bit. Then I put my nice brown brisket in a deep hotel pan. So that's fancy cooking talk for like a deep baking dish because you need to have room for liquids. And I will then add a nice amount of barbecue sauce because barbecue is God. I mean, what can I say? We love barbecue sauce. And I'll throw in a whole, like a three liter bottle of Pepsi. This is a great use of Pepsi and I am a repurposing queen, ask anyone. And then I'll throw in a quarter of a couple of peeled onions. I'll take like maybe two or three peeled onions and cut them in quarters and throw them in. And I'll take through two or three carrots and kind of cut them up and throw them in. And then I put foil over the top, put it in the oven. In our case, it's a confections oven, confectioner, con- confection oven. Confectioners is a sugar thing for candy. Put it in the oven and forget about it for a long time. I mean, check on it once in a while just to make sure it's loaded in liquid, which it will be. Forget about it for like three hours. Check on it like after about two hours. And then after about three hours, you might, if you see that it's got tons of liquid, you might take that foil off, cook it for another couple of hours without the foil, or you might just leave it in the foil. Ultimately, we will cook the brisket for like a good six hours at least five hours. The way you know it's done is you press a fork on it and if it just gives way, if it surrenders, like I had a cat that was kind of a bitch, but when you would pet his belly, all of a sudden he would, his legs would just put, go out to the side and he would surrender, like take me. So the brisket has to kind of be like, take me baby. I know that sounds sexual, too bad, sue me. 
So you press the fork on it until if it gives away and just like you know that you could eat it and not need any teeth, then you know you're done. You take it out of the oven. And at that point, I will take the brisket out of all that great juice and sauce and everything and just put it on a sheet pan and let it cool off. And then I'll take all of that gorgeous stuff, which is like the Pepsi and the barbecue sauce and the onions and the carrots and whatever else you threw in, and I'll puree it so that those onions and carrots and everything, which are so soft you could squish them between your fingers, they get pureed into the sauce. Then... I put the brisket in the refrigerator overnight and I put the sauce in a pot in the refrigerator overnight. The next day, the fat in the sauce will have risen up to the top and I'll just kind of take it off. Or sometimes I don't, sometimes I just like a lot of fat, why not? The brisket will be nice and ice cold and then I cut it into all the serving pieces and put those serving pieces back in the hotel pan. And when I'm ready to serve, I warm up those serving pieces. I pour the sauce over them in the hotel pan. And it's perfect. You can't possibly cut your brisket into beautiful pieces when it's hot. Because it's just going to turn into mush. But when it's ice cold, it's gorgeous. You lay the pieces in the pan. You cover it with your sauce. You heat it up like that. That sauce is just going to drink that sauce. Anyway, this is a great thing to serve at a wedding or for any occasion whatsoever. And if you do serve it, please, Lord, invite me over. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, for raging and eating. And we've been talking about how to have a fantastic wedding in the time of corona. Always remember that food is love, and so are you. And above all, please keep your sense of humor because all this crap is just a little too serious for my nerves. And we have to have our fun. We have to find a way to laugh or else we're gonna cry. Have a delicious day and I'll see you soon. So don't forget to make the brisket and call me up when you do because I'm hungry. Adios.